Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Lots of businesses like to talk about things like work culture and core values. But for many of those businesses, these are just aspirational concepts. My guest today is the president of a manufacturing organization that truly lives and breathes its core values and has built a work culture second to none. I've witnessed it firsthand. And in our conversation today, we'll talk about how creating this kind of strong organizational health internally translates into customer success. Because when your people are all rowing in the same direction and they're owning and embracing their roles, amazing things start to happen for your customers too. Let me introduce him. Doug Eisenhart serves as president of Cambridge Air Solutions, a second-generation family-owned HVAC manufacturer with facilities near St. Louis, Missouri. Cambridge Air Solutions is a purpose-driven organization that exists to glorify God by enriching the quality of every life they touch. Doug started at Cambridge in 2014, developing the sales management team and the Cambridge sales management process, leading an exceptional third-party North American representative network. He subsequently expanded his role to include marketing and customer service teams and joined the Cambridge Advisory Board in 2019. In 2021, Doug was named president of Cambridge. Doug believes passionately about developing organizational success through people and systems development. His people-first perspective was shaped through leadership roles at several highly successful family-owned businesses. Previously, Doug served as Vice President of Sales for Pro Food Systems, Inc., as Vice President and Principal at Acosta Sales and Marketing, and as a Regional Sales Manager for Dot Foods, Inc., the largest food, food service, and equipment redistributor in the world. Doug earned his BSBA at the University of Missouri-Columbia and is currently, currently resides in Wildwood, Missouri with his wife, Michelle, and their four children. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And Doug, you are um, the president of a manufacturing organization that I've been familiar with for for a good while. I've known a lot of people at Cambridge over the years, and so I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show here. But you know, one thing that's been very apparent to me and my business partner, John, and others who have interacted with your team and been on site in your facility and seeing the way you guys operate is you guys have one of the most amazing internal cultures that I have witnessed in a decade plus that I've been working with manufacturers. And I'd love for you to start by just telling us a little bit about your philosophy and approach to building culture. Well, again, Joe, thank you for having me on the podcast. I, I've i been here almost 10 years in a company that's 60 years old. And the foundation of this great culture that I've been a contributor to was here a long time ago. I think our culture and our foundation for culture started with our founder, who really had, I think, like many experiences with people that start a company in their garage, there's a a deep sense of, I don't know, almost a family camaraderie that exists in small business. And 
That's been translated over decades here at Cambridge. I think under the leadership of the second generation owner, John Kramer, I believe the culture, the intentionality around culture really starts with John. Uh, John really desires to have our workplace be a place for good in our lives, in our families, in our community, and in the country. And so I think our culture, the backdrop of our culture starts with our owner and his desire to enrich the lives of people through business. And so he actually names that as why we exist and names that boldly in our why we exist statement. I think the way we work on culture here is really intentional. And so we even name organizational health as our first strategic pillar. And so most of our strategic planning starts with that mindset of organizational health, which we translate into culture over everything else. And that out of that culture flows the value creation for the customer. And so, you know, one of the ways that I think we've really worked hard this past year on trying to figure out what is it about our culture? What are we working on? This, you know, the, the big term of health, we had different definitions of that for many, many years in the last decade, uh, specifically as I've been involved with the business. And so we named our core values as part of our culture journey, our org health journey. And this past year, we, I think, took a really big step forward by uh, turning our the words that we had named our values around, unconditional love with high expectations and, you know, behaving with care, courage and respect. We wrote language around those values and we, we kind of started describing it as values in action. How would we know if we were behaving with care? We started to write down what care meant behaviorally. And so kind of an outpouring of some leadership team development work that we were doing across our leadership team, we had maybe 43 people that started to say, well, what, what do you mean by care? How does care show up behaviorally at Cambridge? And so we had an awesome spreadsheet of collected data from all the participants across our people leader group. And we synthesized that down to a, a few statements and we launched formally kind of our core values and what we mean by them at the beginning of uh, fiscal 2023, which we just ended here in September. And so I think that's been a big step forward where we can coach, train to a set of core values for organizational health that are co-created by leaders and embraced by you know a wide majority of our of our people. So that's a long answer, but it's been here a long time. It's continuously worked on. And I think we have um, really documented it in a meaningful way that we can have conversations with people around values. It actually sits inside our morning meeting. Uh, we have one of our values pop up for our MCs of our morning meeting, and they get to describe what that value means to them in their own language. So we've actually taken our values uh, into the organization daily in that rhythm. Yeah, that's great. I think that core values are one of those things that, you know, I think a lot of companies kind of look at it as fluff and I've seen it exist that way too, where it's, you know, you name these things that are aspirational in nature and they don't really come out in, in the way people operate their business, the way they go about their, you know, their daily work. And I know, I know just from 
all my interactions with you and your your team that these things do come out like your core values are are lived we take it very seriously too far at, at gorilla our core values are results improvement relationships kindness and inclusivity and those five things we we embed all of that into the way we recruit and hire people into the way we interact with our clients into the and we we point these things out and we you know bring them back up all the time and people legitimately live them and I think if you if you're not doing that, it then it is is just fluff. So just kind of curious your your take on on that and actually living those core values inside the company. Yeah, I think the responsibility rests with rests with leadership, and that people are watching the decisions, reactions in the moment for consistency or inconsistency with with stated values, and holding leadership accountable to that is the first priority. Leaders have to go first. And living in the values isn't mistake-free. So when you do make a mistake, it's really important to apologize, to own the mistake that you've made, and to alter your future reactions or statements or behaviors. Apologizing is a vulnerable thing, but it needs to happen for a culture to be healthy because we're not dealing with perfect people. Leaders aren't perfect. Everyone's not perfect. And we're going to falter. We can hold each other accountable, apologize, and we can move forward together. So I think it's in willingness to apologize as well that culture gets reflected. But you don't want to be apologizing more than you're living. So I think those are some key tenets of holding leaders accountable for it first. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree. You got to you got to own it for sure. Doug, what you know? I think we talk about building internal culture and the impact, the positive impacts that a really strong internal culture can have. But how do you how do you then translate that into customer success? Because I know that's really important to you and something you're passionate about. If you're doing all this internally, there needs to be an impact the customer too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think kind of two things come to mind for me in that regard. One is that when there's a when when healthy culture is there, I believe there's empowerment that exists in each and every role. And so there's not a there's not a concentration of authority or a concentration of dis- decision making when people are free to pull the organization to what they believe is an improvement. You empower more innovation to solve problems for either yourself or an output of that could be that you're solving for a problem that extends downstream. And so quality and safety would be, in a manufacturing business, two things that are immediately impacted. If you're free to eliminate obstacles that you might have in your role in a manufacturing company, and it could be in any any function, that translates into value for the customer through a better, could be a better design, it could be a more timely delivery, it could be a quality defect-free process or component or subcomponent. As we talk about having quality built to last, not building things for disposal or for retrofit in, in some time frame. You know, it, when you think of the, the old refrigerators that work longer or the dishwasher that work longer, you know, this disposable manufacturing mindset is uh, kind of all around us. And Cambridge has decided that we're going to be built to last. And that means that that quality starts with how we wire connections. We want that to be perfect and uh, error-free 
with no crossovers or disconnects or loose fittings. And so, you know, when I think about when I think about healthy, a healthy culture where you might be inspired to change a process to help you improve quality for the customer, uh, that's how health might connect with our customer value. I think the other the other part is certainly, you know, an economic one where if someone is nesting sheet metal and we're getting a maximum utilization of a sheet of metal in the fabrication of a product, if you're inspired to maximize that, there's an there's there's an economic benefit that could be translated into a cost differential or a, a minimizing of cost differentials for for customers. So you can impact quality, you can impact cost, you can impact what we sell to customers for. And if we can hold pricing down to a customer, we can impact our competitiveness in the marketplace, which allows us to give a product to someone more economically than our competitor or at not such a premium that they would make the leap to a a product that's built to last to change an environment internally for, for workers in a factory or a warehouse. I think the other one is where when you have healthy culture, curiosity uh, is expanded. And so instead of coming to work and thinking, well, I do this, I'm told to do this in this manner, I start to look at the work I do uh, through curious eyes and ask, why have we done it like this? I know I was trained like this, but I can see I can see opportunities I can make a change and I'm celebrated for making that change, not not in the material design of a product, but I can actually, I'm free to change my workplace, my station, my process um, so that I can create more value for the customer. So curiosity gets expanded versus narrowness of I'm told what to do. I'm asked to invent, I'm asked to create, and I'm asked to ask why why are we doing it this way? Should we break it? And it's amazing what happens when new people come in, in in any role, whether it's the CFO or someone working working on a break press. They see through fresh eyes what could be changed for the better. And so I think our culture is reflected there as well. That when those changes are made and they are pointed at, hey, how can I how can I benefit the process? How will this how will this uh, change what happens with my customer? Then we connect we connect the value chains inside manufacturing to the output to the value created for that differentiation in the marketplace with a customer. That's the connection point. Culture connects those two, I think, pretty visibly. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. I'm, I'm thinking about this from my perspective too. Is co-owned my agency for 17 years. And we've gone through all kinds of stages in this business. We've had times where we've had some pretty darn unhappy employees and like it felt like the culture was deteriorating. And there are times when we've felt like we're on top of the world and we're just moving, you know, all in sync and everything's everything's working the way it should. And, you know, if you look at the way employee happiness, the way they work together, feel about their coworkers, feel about the way you know they're treated by their managers and what that relationship looks like at the times when that's been at its peaks are the times when we are like firing on all cylinders with our clients, delivering better work. We're retaining people. And as a result, the work product is better because you've got 
you know, experienced people who understand the processes and they know their their job role. And so to me, you can't take these things apart. Like they they all fit together. The way the impact you're going to have on your customer is so closely tied to people understanding their job role, being happy in their role, like coming to work every day in in a mindset that is, you know, just just positive and they they feel like they're ready to go. So I love the tie here between internal culture and the impact on the customer. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I'm really excited to announce an incredible event our team at Gorilla76 will be co-hosting in late January and early February of 2024 in Austin, Texas, just for marketers in the manufacturing sector. I'm going to hand it to our strategist, Peyton Warren, to give you the details. Hi, I'm Peyton Warren, strategist at Gorilla76. Over the past few years, our team has been running twice per month digital learning events for industrial marketers called Industrial Marketing Live. It's been a huge success, and we're seeing 50 to 100 manufacturing marketing folks show up regularly. But one thing this group has told us is that they've been itching for a live, in-person event just for them. Well, we're super excited to be teaming up with True Marketing and Kadena's Part Solutions to deliver exactly that. January 31st through February 2nd of 2024, we'll be co-hosting the Industrial Marketing Summit in Austin, Texas. We have an incredible lineup of speakers for day one who will be covering topics that include SEO in the dawning era of AI, high-impact product marketing, elevating the role of marketing within your manufacturing organization, and giving out a demand generation playbook for B2B manufacturers. And that just skims the surface. On day two, we'll be conducting in-depth breakout sessions to go deeper on some of these key topics and help you apply them inside your own organizations. Not only will this be an intensive learning event with some of the sharpest minds in the industrial marketing space, but we'll be hosting social events in the evenings with great food and venues for networking with other manufacturing folks who are trying to solve the same kinds of marketing challenges you are. We're limited to 300 seats, so visit industrialmarketingsummit.com to learn more and reserve your ticket. We'd love to see you in Austin. Well, Doug, shifting gears a little bit here, I I know a a common thread between what you guys are doing at Cambridge and what we're doing at Gorilla is that we're both running on EOS or the entrepreneurial operating system. For those who are listening and are maybe aren't familiar with what that is, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I think the uh, I I've tried to describe EOS a, a couple of different ways, and I I don't know if I ever really get to a clear explanation, but EOS is you know like a computer operating system. It's the framework by which you run the business. And so EOS gives us a set of simple concepts and simple tools that allow us to not work so hard to do strategy deployment. Cambridge has tried to do strategic deployment and goal setting over the last 10 years in a number of different ways. We've had outside consultants help us. We've um, used different models, but we, uh, we had struggled to have anything sustainable, uh, repetitive, repeatable, we couldn't even really plan well for how we were going to do our planning. And so we had a lot of brokenness in our strategic deployment. And I think, you know, part of what might have sustained us through that wave was we focused on organizational health first as the strategy that trumped all others, but it didn't necessarily allow us to be very specific about what path we're going to take towards our vision. And so the EOS methodology has helped us with 
really clearly naming what we want to be by 2030 and then breaking that into a closer three-year vision, one-year goal setting, and then one-quarter goal setting. They call goals rocks inside of the U.S. planning method. So what we've enjoyed over the last, say, two and a half years now is an 80% achievement of, or better, of annual goals and a quarterly goals or rocks that have been set to meet those annual goals. So my boss, our owner, holds me accountable to make sure that we are doing, achieving the res- the goals that we set out at 80% or better quarterly and annually. That's one of my report card items. And then, you know, subsequently, my teams, I have seven direct reports and those teams, functional teams also are running uh, goal setting inside their teams that cascade, you know, it basically it's like sonar. You know, the goals are, are are originated ground up or top down, and they 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 have a sonar capability to them. But if we set a new product initiative goal, obviously there are many goals that cascade into the teams, whether it's engineering, manufacturing, capacity planning, sales, business development planning, marketing, resource planning for that launch. There's interconnectivity between company goals and and team goals. EOS for us has helped us to align around the most important things that this business needs to do to add value to the customer and then to invest in those areas that we feel like we need to go faster, be better, be stronger to create more value for the customer and say no to the distractions whether it's things we love doing, but don't serve that purpose. Sometimes we tend to lean in, in into things that we have expertise on, but aren't necessarily important to the customer. And so the EOS operating methodology really has helped us to not only strategically plan and deploy, but to run the weekly, monthly, quarterly, rhythmic planning meetings, communication sessions. We we, we subscribe pretty fully to the EOS model. And I think they're up to like 190,000 companies, maybe approaching 200,000 companies worldwide that are operating on the EOS model. That's wild. I've talked to a lot of manufacturing organizations that are running on EOS. Not a lot, I should say, but like it's, I think it's become a, a fairly popular model in manufacturing. It certainly is in the marketing world too. And which just kind of shows you, regardless of the type of business you are, how having a framework to work within, as you think about how do we, how do we stay focused? How do we make sure we're, our resources are being, you know, allocated in the right places and that we've got We'll talk about this one in a minute, but the right people in the right seats. There are actually six key components to to EOS. If anybody who's familiar, there's like this pizza pie chart with you've got vision, data, processes, traction, issues, and and people, which we won't go into what all those are. That would take a, a good hour uh, long episode. But the one I wanted to really dial in on with you, uh, Doug, was the people component. Um because I think it's it's tied closely to a lot of what we're talking about here. But you know, the, the US model basically says, you know, with people in your business, you got to have the right people and you got to have them in the right seats, right? They gotta they gotta be performing the right function. And I think that, you know, when I look at 
Cambridge and what I know about you guys, something I'd, I'd be curious to hear you talk about a little bit is, you know, there are multiple places in your website. I've heard you say it even on this podcast already today that, you know, Cambridge says we express unconditional love and high expectations while behaving with care, courage, integrity, and respect. And I'm, I'm curious how, like, how do you bring that unconditional love out for your team, especially in situations where you, you may not have the right people person, or you just may have the wrong person in a certain seat. How do you keep living that? Cause those are tough situations, right? So yeah, I'll throw it to you. Yeah. So, you know, the core value of unconditional love and high expectations is it's together for a reason that was very intentional that we name that. High expectations without unconditional love sometimes can be, at its worst, abusive. So you you know just expect results and but you don't care about what's going on with the person and how they're doing as a person. On the other side of that, unconditional love without high expectations. If if you're not holding someone accountable to the accountabilities of the role, you know the expectations in a role, then at its worst, that's enablement. So we put those together and that that's the balancing act around unconditional love and high expectations. And so we believe clarity is kindness. And so part of our culture is to make sure that in this kind of right person, right seat mentality inside EOS, that as leaders, we are helping to select and train and inspire people that have a passion about the role, have giftedness in the role. We set them up for success through clear expectations on what they're accountable for and the results that are expected. They are coached and provided resources so that they can be successful and they're fully capable or they have either they have the time necessary to do it, they have the skill sets, they have the support resources. So you know, we want to make sure that we're not just saying, hey, you're you're going off and here's your role and good luck and we hope you succeed. And if you don't, we're going to let you know. We have a much more interactive methodology around, you know, our one-on-one schedules, our EOS meetings of teams, the clarity around what's expected, what's needed, the support that might be needed. Oftentimes our, our culture really is about is the leader doing everything that they can do to support that individual's success in their role, whether it's they could be growing faster than the company and and then we might support them launching towards something that allows them to go faster if they go outside the company. We also want those situations where someone is not performing in a role because of any any missing links in either capability or passion or um, learning. You know, we're we're either setting them up for success or we're helping them to find a role inside Cambridge that might suit them. They might have an interest in. And we've had we've had examples of people repositioning themselves in the organization in that manner. And that feels really great. And then we've had situations where we've had to try to help people find work outside Cambridge as well. And so that clarity. I think fits inside our value. It's really unkind to leave someone languishing in a role and just say, well, I love them and I can't do anything about it. Actually, the most loving thing we can do sometimes when someone is struggling in a role mightily 
is to help them find a role that they can really succeed in, whether it's internal or external. And we think that is a complete uh, alignment in in our values of unconditional love and high expectations. It's the messy middle, but it's it's that's real. And people that can't go home fulfilled don't show up here fulfilled and energized and you know, we go back to, are they energized, motivated, and curious? And when someone comes in with high anxiety, knowing that they can't, they can't fulfill the requirements, um, it's not good for the company, and it's even worse for the individual. Well, Doug, something that's uh, been apparent to me in our conversations is that you're a somewhat rare example of a manufacturing president who both understands marketing and truly believes in it. You know, in the, in the industrial sector, I talk to so many companies that are just very sales centric. They don't really understand the, you know, the difference between marketing and sales. They don't necessarily believe in in marketing as a, a true uh, value driver or engine for growth within the company. And so it's music to my ears whenever I get to talk to a manufacturing uh, leader who, who believes in marketing. But you've gone as far as to say, that you believe marketing strategy and organizational strategy are really one and the same. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, I. Um, it's an interesting question for sure. It's a work in progress for me. I think admittedly there are so many different definitions of what constitutes strategy, whether it's organizational strategy, strategic planning, marketing strategy. There's really no alignment in the academic community over what constitutes good strategy. And then there's also arguments that it's overrated, right? So I think I have been, I'd say more recently, like within the last couple of years, I have been really interested in Michael Porter's definition of strategy. And and I would say I, I subscribe to that philosophy that focuses on the unique things that an organization does that are unique, differentiated, and add value for the customer. You know, from their vantage point, why do they do business with us? What's most important and what problems can we solve for them in a in a unique way, a different way? And those those activities are not singular. We we name kind of five core differentiators, but the act differentiators, but the activities around those differentiators are vast. And so it's like a DNA strand. And if you pull, if you pull an activity out, it's not the same value proposition. So it might be things like, you know, shortest lead times. Well, if that's a decision that we want to be one of the shortest lead times or the shortest lead times or someone that the uh, customer can count on for a delivery on time, then the decisions that we make and the capital that we invest and the, and how we roll out products, whether it's by market, by region, national or multinational, the decisions that we make are tied to that first marketing element of we want to own this spot of shortest lead times in the industry. And so the capital we invest in that, there's a decision. Do we pre-build capacity? Do we buy capacity somewhere else? So when you start thinking about organizational strategy and marketing strategy, I don't know how how you separate them. I think when we have clear understanding of the value that we create for our customer, then it will dictate 
what we spend our time and treasure on. And so I don't know how you split them out. And so in, even inside the U.S. model, they ask you to name your purpose. They ask you to name your values. And then they ask you to name your marketing strategy. Like what, what makes you different in the marketplace? And so what are your unique attributes that customers find valuable? And that helps us guide our planning. And so I would say marketing guides our organization and helps us to fulfill our, our purpose. So if we are enriching the lives of our customers and, and the people that work inside the buildings that they touch, our investments will flow towards that marketing strategy. And it's and our sales organization aligns around the marketing strategy, tells the story of our differentiation. So sales sits underneath the marketing strategy, organizational strategy. I know that there's not a common language about what, what that is, but I see the organization, we, we define we define what we do, the, the business operations by the value we deliver to our customer. And that's why I think marketing strategy sits high in the decision tree. Yeah, it's just so interesting to hear you talk this way compared to how I hear so many other manufacturing organizations talk and think about marketing as the thing we're going to do at the trade show or the pay-per-click campaign we're going to run. And it's 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 such a shame. Yeah, that well, and I think that's a that's a change of thinking because um I, I would say, admittedly, I get I get solicited by at least twenty marketing firms that have the answer for me. Um, I mean, every email I've got the answer for you. Your website's terrible. Uh, they've never spoken to me, but I get I get solicited all the time, and it's all marketing tool sets. And we've had this conversation, Joe, but the the focus on tool sets. It and the focus on strategy are two different things. And so I think a lot of businesses feel like this noise of tool sets is marketing. And I just, I would say that the, the tool sets, whatever they are, and there are many really, really good ones, but they have to align to help you fulfill the value creation that you've named your unique, your, your unique business proposition. They, those tool sets have to support that. And so as we are talking about our marketing strategy, we are literally talking about the alignment of our sales organization, our applications engineer, and their educational outreach to our customer, and all of our marketing resources, whether it's web, digital, print, everything, social media. We want the alignment of those tool sets to be point, lead generation to be pointed at those things that our customers find really valuable. And that that's what I call marketing strategy. Love it. Really well said. And I, I wish we could get more manufacturing leaders thinking that way. Well, Doug, is there anything I did not ask you about that you'd like to add to the conversation? Well, I would say probably one of the great things about the manufacturing community that I've been able to learn over, over the last decade has been that there's a ton of willingness to collaborate and share best practices. And so one of our greatest accelerators has been other companies pouring into us through exposure trips, whether we're going to see them or they're coming to see us, uh, the relationships that we build with other manufacturers around the U.S. or even internationally. It's been it's been eye-opening for me. I, I didn't grow up in manufacturing and I've had to learn a ton. 
And that's been a great accelerant for me in understanding what other companies have used to be successful ideas, concepts, operating systems. EOS was delivered to us by another company. Values in Action was delivered through a manufacturing network and Vistage. And so, you know, the available support and resources and coaching that we get from other companies and leaders uh, in manufacturing has been spectacular. I've never experienced anything like that in the other industries that I was in. There was some in the food industry early on when it wasn't so uh, narrowly controlled by a few companies, but the manufacturing community has really been a really great environment to learn and grow in as a leader. That's great to hear. It's been a fun, you know, I didn't come up through manufacturing either. My my company kind of fell into it by accident, you know, 12, 15 years ago and embraced it, decided to own it. And uh, one of the best decisions we've, we've ever made. I think there's a lot of th- really exciting things going on inside the industrial sector right now and uh, proud to be a part of it. So very good. Well, Doug, it was really great conversation today. I appreciate you doing this. Can you tell our audience um, how they can learn more about what you're doing over there at Cambridge Air Solutions? Sure. Well, I think our website's a great place to start. It tells a lot about some of the topics we talked about today. And we do invite companies that want to know more about us or collaborate with us. We do have some ways to engage through our tours. And so we run uh, routine tours here that are allow us to peek inside. It allows company leaders that they don't have to be in manufacturing to come see us. We, we've hosted the zoo, the hospital, St. Louis Children's Hospital, the Nurses Association. We've hosted a lot of diverse industries here at Cambridge over, over the last decade. I think some, some 10,000 visitors over that time frame. And we kind of have an open door. We'll talk to everybody about anything. And we we like to explore what's working well in their business too. So happy to connect through that medium or there's ways to reach me directly through the website as well. My email's on there as you go to the leadership tab on our website, but uh, happy to happy to talk to anybody about how to run a successful business. Fantastic. Well, I would encourage anybody listening to actually take that um, initiative. I've been through the Cambridge facility a few times. I've sat in on a few of your morning meetings, which are one of the more unique things I've seen happen inside of a manufacturing organization. So I think there's a lot to be learned by what you guys are doing from a culture perspective and just the way you guys are running your company over there. So appreciate Doug, you doing this today. Great to have you here and excited for the next time I get to be back through the, the Cambridge facility. Very good. Thank you very much, Joe. Look forward to having you in here soon and visiting with you. Fantastic. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.